I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. (laughs) Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. In just a second, we'll talk all about the Pitt-Penn State game. But first, just a quick reminder, uh, as of last week, we have uh, moved over where the podcast is hosted. We are now part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Uh, Not much changes for you, except you can now get the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, any place you uh, listen to podcasts, you can Search us, Cardiac Hill. You'll find the subscribe. Uh, we we absolutely would love it if you did that. Then you get all the episodes right to your phone whenever they come out on Monday. And uh, definitely appreciate it. So that's the housekeeping out of the way. Let's talk about this Pitt-Penn State game. So we have to talk about the, the very first thing and the dominating thing is Pat Narduzzi's de- decision to attempt a field goal on fourth and goal on the one-yard line with just a few minutes remaining in the game. And I, for the life of me, do not understand it. I don't think I'll ever understand it, and I don't think any of you will understand it because it makes no sense. I think Pat Narduzzi's a good coach for the most part. I'll put that out there right away. But this was such a horrible decision that is top to bottom completely indefensible. Made absolutely no sense from the entire time. And I, you know, I was watching the game. I was was not at the game, but I was watching the game. And I I tweeted it. And I, I tweeted at the time I was live tweeting. And before it happened, I talked about that it was dumb. Then when they missed the field goal, I said, my decision, like, that doesn't change anything. That changes nothing. Not making the field goal changed absolutely nothing. And the reason why is because going for the field goal itself was the worst decision you could possibly make. Let's just game theory this out a little bit, all right? I I was a a double major. One of them was poli-sci. 
let's go through game theory here, okay? If you go for the field goal, best case scenario, you make it, you're still down four, and you need a touchdown, right? Another field goal won't do it. So best case scenario, you still need a touchdown. Worst case scenario, which happened, they went for it and missed, you still need a touchdown. Okay, so that's why it didn't matter whether Kessman made it or missed it. It did not matter. I guess the only thing would be if you got a sec- another touchdown, then you'd be going for the win instead of a tie, but you could... Okay, whatever. Basically the exact same thing regardless of whether you make or miss the field goal. Now let's game theory the other side. If you go for it on fourth and goal on the one, best case scenario, you tie the game, or you could take the lead. I mean, at that point, you're down 17-10, to 10, so you get a touchdown, best case scenario, 17-16. You could either tie it or go for the lead with a few minutes left if you want to be bold. Worst case scenario, you don't make it, and you've pinned Penn State back to their own one-yard line. Your defense has been playing well, and then you can get the ball back. There was enough time. You get the ball back in good field position and try again. They're literally both options for going for it on fourth and one are objectively better than kicking a field goal, whether you make it or not. It doesn't matter if Pitt got those three points. That does not matter. Just like it would have still it still would have been better to go for it on fourth and one and not gotten it. Your defense has them pinned back. You can try again. But to not even go for it makes zero sense. I mean, on one hand, it's weak. And there was another, uh, uh, an earlier decision in the fourth quarter to punt it away. They were in about midfield. And it was fourth and short. And they could have gone for it. They decided to punt it away. And a lot of people were saying, bad decision. And, and uh, you got to be more gutsy with that. I'm mixed. Normally, I'm the more aggressive thinker when it comes to play calling, and I would say go for it. But because of the strengths, the defense was playing so well and field position was going to matter, I I was good with the decision to punt, especially because Kirk Christodoulou was having a really good day punting. And if you give it to Penn State in that field position, if you go for it on fourth and you lose it, and then Penn State gets in good field position, all of a sudden it's a two-possession game. So I was fine with it there. But to not go for it on fourth and one made absolutely no sense. Whether you, if you went for it, whether you converted and you got the touchdown or not, it was still a better decision than going for the field goal, whether or not you made it. So it makes absolutely zero sense for them to go for it. And then what's even worse, I mean, it was bad enough to to go for it. And that was something that every single person, every member of the press, everyone on Pitt Twitter, everyone watching across the nation thought it was absolutely absurd and indefensible. Narduzzi was the number two trend on Twitter in the nation. Not trends for you. In the United States, he was the number two trend. Penn State was number one. Narduzzi was number two. Because everyone across the country realized how bad that decision was. And then what's worse is his defense of it. In a weird way, that actually, it was like pouring salt on the wound. Because then afterwards, they asked him about it, and he said, well, you you were going to need another score anyway. Essentially, it's a two-possession game if you want to win. What? 
no, when you're down by seven, it's a one possession game. And even, so first of all, I don't even really understand what he's saying. Really, there are two things. Either one, he genuinely thought they were down by 10 or 9 or something, and that they needed, that it was actively a two-possession game at that point. I'm concerned that he genuinely thought that, because I cannot, for the life of me, understand his rationale. The other possibility is that he just wanted to go for the win. His whole thing was, you're in a hostile territory, you don't want to go to overtime, you know, up against student section, we want to go for the win, and in that case, you need more than seven points. Well, if that's the case, they have this thing called the two-point conversion, and if you really wanted to go for the win, even though there were minutes left, if you really wanted to take the lead, you could have tried for it on fourth and one, gotten the touchdown, and then gone for the two-point conversion. So... Those are the only two possible things that I can imagine when his defense came up and he said what he said, because his literal quote was, because you need two scores to win the football game, and that he doesn't question or regret his decision at all. Again, that just makes zero sense. If if the thinking is down seven and you want to go for the win, you don't want to tie it up at 17 okay, even that's weird because there were still minutes left. It's not like you're in the last 30 seconds. But okay, you could have gone for the two-point conversion. So I'm genuinely worried that he actually thought that they were down like nine or something. It's absolutely bizarre, and it added salt to the wound because the decision itself was absolutely absurd. But then to go out and have no regrets about it, is is even worse because then that question that puts into question you as a coach and if this sort of thing happens again are you going to do the same thing again if you admitted yeah you know what i i i was thinking that you know we wanted to go for the win or so I mean, again there's there's no actual rationale for it so i don't know what he would say to defend it but if he'd come out and said you know what bad decision on my part we should have gone for it uh you know, my bad, then again, it's still awful, but everyone watching the program understands that you realize it was a bad decision and won't do it again. But by defending it, by doubling down, that's even worse because now the question is, well, if this sort of scenario comes up again, are we all going to be worried that either you don't know the score or you just, I just, again, nothing about that made sense. And I don't even understand what his thought process was, but whatever it was, was completely nonsensical. It made zero sense to go for the field goal there, make or miss, than going for it on fourth and one. Now, there were other things, and and yeah, it was first and goal at the one. And so there is a big reckoning on those first three plays. Why, with three opportunities to punch it in from the one-yard line, did you not get it in? I thought the first play, there was a really good chance for Kenny Pickett to scramble in. And he he had rolled out to the right, and there was room in front of him. And I said this on the podcast last week, that I think he's got to get a little bit better at committing to scrambling when the play breaks down, when he doesn't have any receivers. And in that case, when you're right there, I think he needed to commit to just running it in. There was open space in front of him. He could have gotten into the end zone, but because it was early in the, in you know, his first down, he didn't want to go for it. 
and that was frustrating. And then they tried again, and it didn't work. And they tried again, and it didn't work. This is where you talk about the offensive line, you talk about the running backs having a bad day. First and goal from the one. You absolutely have to get that in. And that's including a fourth try. And they should have had a fourth try. And again, who knows if they get it if they go for it on fourth and one. But worst case scenario, you pin Penn State back to their own one yard line. You play a good defensive series and you try all over again. But to be that close to tying the game against a heavily favored team in a hostile territory and not even giving your team the opportunity... That is completely indefensible because he took the game out of the players' hands. The players who were having a really good day and to not even give them the opportunity to tie it up or if you wanted to go for the two-point conversion to take the lead, whatever you wanted to do, but to not give them the opportunity to try and to essentially take the game out of their hands was completely ridiculous and Probably the most maddening, actually, definitely the most maddening decision of the Narduzzi era. Really the most maddening decision of just about, the only thing I could possibly think back to is maybe the Notre Dame game. They went to triple overtime in South Bend, and uh, it was Kevin Harper missed the, the field goal. So maybe you can consider that because the issue there was... Uh, it was Ray Graham was the running back, didn't run to the center, and so Kevin Harper was kicking from the hashes, and they could have won the game in second overtime, and that was it. And, and so, really in the modern era, those are the two things, the only two things that I can think of, where you had this un- incredible opportunity, and you just completely blew it with a boneheaded decision. And in terms of the actual decision-making part of it, this, I think, has to be worse. Because... There, it was just there was a zero percent success rate. I think that's what is is the most maddening. Is there was not a single way that that could have worked out by kicking on fourth and goal from the one. There was not a, a single person who could defend that. It's not, you know, Kevin Harper has to kick from the right hash. Well, maybe he's better from there. Maybe the win. Maybe this. Maybe that. Maybe you're trying to get the first. I don't know. Whatever. No one could possibly make a case for why Narduzzi decided to go for the field goal there. And that's why this is absolutely maddening. <laughs> now, as far as the rest of the game goes, defense was great. Jalen Twyman, again, wearing Aaron Donald's number 97, he is a man possessed. He has the the spirit of Aaron Donald in that jersey. This is a like Mike situation, folks. He put on the Aaron Donald jersey, and he's got all of his talent. Jalen Twyman has popped up out of nowhere with no Keyshawn Kemp and no Rashad Weaver. And he's currently fifth in the nation in sacks. How incredible is that? This is a guy who... Yeah, he's expected to take a step up, and people thought he'd have a good season. Guy is fifth in the nation in sacks. He's looking like a mini Aaron Donald out there. This is incredible, and the whole defense was great. The secondary struggled some, and there were a couple missed tackles and all that, but when you're facing a top 15 team in the nation, and you hold them to 17 points, and three of those points were an absolute fluke field goal, the longest in Penn State's history then, yeah, you deserve a lot of credit. That defense played really well. And this seems to be the defense that was foretold when Pitt hired Pat Narduzzi as the defensive mastermind behind Michigan State's success. 
And in a way, that's more frustrating because the defense came to play. Another person that came to play was Kenny Pickett. He stepped it up. The running game was non-existent. They tried it early. It was not working. They tried it again in the second half. So they really had no choice but to to put this in Kenny Pickett's hands and make him throw. And to his credit, he did a really good job. He was 35 for 51, threw for 372 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. But that's, in terms of passing yards, that's more than I, I believe any pit quarterbacks had since Tino Sinceri in a single game. So that's more than Tom Savage and Nate Peterman, two guys who made it to the NFL. Uh, Pickett, he was better with scrambling. He was better at finding his receivers. Honestly, it should have been more than 35 uh, for 51 in passing because there were a handful of balls that his receivers just dropped, and that's still a problem. But for the most part, yeah, this is this is a quarterback that is starting to look like what everyone was hoping for when they fired Sean Watson and they brought in Mark Whipple, who's supposed to be a quarterback whisperer. This is what people were hoping for, and he played like it. They absolutely needed him to step up because the running game the leading rusher was Shockey Jacques-Louis, who's a wide receiver. He had nine yards. So that's pretty bad. And by the way, the second leading rusher was Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, for seven yards. Uh, your, your top running back was Vincent Davis. He had six yards on four carries. Running game was nowhere. So they needed Kenny Pickett to step up, and he did. And on top of that, I mentioned Kirk Christodoulou, the punter. He played well. And there were just a couple freak plays when they were pinned back in, within their own 10, Penn State was. And th they had a, it was like a 40-yard gain or something, and they just got out of it. The longest field goal in program history, all these things. They, P Pitt should deserve to win that game, in my opinion, or certainly deserve to take it into overtime. For much of that game, Pitt played better. And the players deserve to win that game. The way the defense played phenomenally well, especially the defensive line and uh, and the pass rush. They were great. And Jalen Twyman and the way Kenny Pickett stepped it up, those players, they deserve to win the game. In a hostile environment, in this big rivalry in front of the nation, they deserve to win that game. Pat Narduzzi did not. And Pat Narduzzi essentially took it out of their hands. And he completely blew it. And that's what's frustrating looking at the program is that the players showed up, and yes, the coaches do get credit for that, and Pat Narduzzi gets credit for them showing up, but the players showed up, they played really well, the coordinators showed up, and both Randy Bates and Mark Whipple had really good games. Kenny Pickett, standout, the defense, standout. They should have won that game, they deserved to win that game, and Pat Narduzzi took it out of their hands, and it's brutal, it's absolutely brutal, and again, that decision is just completely indefensible. So, with all that said, we're going to take a quick break with a word from our new sponsors. We'll be back right on the other side of this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, we're back. So now we have to talk about where we all go from here. So 
the first thing is this epidemic with Pitt only scoring in the second quarter. They are three games into the season, and the Panthers have scored nine points outside of the second quarter. That's ridiculous. I don't know what possibly could be the case there, but there is zero reason that that should happen. There is zero reason the Pitt should come out relatively flat every single game, now three games in in the first quarter. There's zero reason that they should come out uh, of halftime pretty flat, now three games in. And there's zero reason that when the game is on the line, they should come out flat. And that just keeps on happening, even against Ohio. You know, it's one thing if it's Penn State, next week it's UCF, and Virginia's a tough team. But even Ohio, you, you count in all those three games, and they've got nine points outside of the second quarter. I can't even explain that. It doesn't make any sense, but it has to be fixed. You're not going to win a whole lot of football games if you score an average of three points in three in in seventy five percent of the game. That's that's just not going to fly. So I don't know what it is, but they've got to fix it because I know people on Twitter they were joking at halftime. Wow, okay, things are going pretty well, and and you like where you are, and and you're tied at halftime. At, at 10 apiece, but, well, you know, everything's going to fall apart in uh, in the second half because Pitt just doesn't show up, and it happened again. It's three games in. It's still happening. You just cannot have that. You absolutely can't have that. So moving forward, they have to address that. Now, on the broader scale, Pat Narduzzi's future. Again, as bad as the decision was, him essentially doubling down on it and saying he had no regrets about it, that's even worse because now you wonder, is this guy, is he a good head football coach or is he just a good recruiter, good at, you know, bringing in defensive guys and good on that end of the ball, but in terms of game day decisions, just doesn't have it. Now, in some cases, it can be enough. James Franklin, I don't think anyone could say is a good game day coach, but because of his recruiting and all that stuff, they've, they've built a good program from the wreckage that, by the way, they caused and deserved a lot more, but whatever. Um, Pat Narduzzi has has a lot of good qualities. He's got a handful of bad qualities, and those are starting to overshadow the good qualities. And we saw the weird use of timeouts. There was one in the first half where they called a timeout to avoid a delay of game to punt, which made no sense. You can sort of get over that, but in general... That's a concern, and what happened late in the fourth quarter is a major, major concern. And you're in a weird state of limbo with the program now, where because the defense is playing so well, and it took him this point in his tenure, five years in, to put together this defense that, again, was foretold. When they hired Pat Narduzzi, the the thought was, the collective thought was, okay, well... The de- and by the way, under Paul Chris, the defense was awful. Okay, now it's going to be defense team, you know, you're going to run the ball, and the defense is going to show up. And certainly last year, that's that was the case. They ran the ball, the defense showed up. This year, not so much with running the ball, at least not yet, but the defense is showing up. So now when you he's finally got the program to where you'd want it to be on the defensive end, and not that far on the offensive end, at least this year. It was last year uh, under Sean Watson, but you'd think that they're turning it around. And so many things are going right that you can't just throw it out and say, 
he's got to be gone. And there were a lot of people right after it happened saying he's got to be fired, fire him right now. And I, I get it. I do get it because in the moment that was just a completely insane decision. But when you sit back and look at it, you're in a weird spot because he's done a good enough job where it's not like he's definitely on the hot seat, at least not right now. But he also hasn't done a good enough job, especially after his first two seasons, where you're able to look past that and say, okay, it was one mistake for an otherwise great coach. You're in an odd period of limbo here. His first two years, he got eight wins. He was eight and four in the regular season. It was great. Third year was a downer, but they beat number two Miami and Pickett looked good. And okay, you think the future is going to be good. And then his fourth year last year, weird season, things not looking so good, especially early on. And then they go out and they string together some wins in the ACC and they go out and they win the Coastal. And you think, okay, the defense is starting to show up and it's just a a bad non-conference slate and this is a program that you can really grow on, especially once they got rid of Sean Watson and brought in Mark Whipple as the OC. But now you're in the fifth year and there are still these these bizarre game day coaching decisions and still sort of the the inability to to go out and I mean he beat Penn State his first year but still the the frustration of of games like that and he has beaten big teams obviously he beat Penn State his first year and he's beaten Clemson and Miami so it's not like really before Narduzzi, when it seemed to be the case that Pitt never beat the really good teams. They never showed up when the lights were brightest, because they have, but just weird decisions and games that, in a way, they deserve to win, and then some some weird situation or decision takes it out of their hands almost. So, at this point, I think it really does come down to the rest of the season, and Pat Narduzzi did himself no favors with that decision with the Penn State game. If he goes for it and wins, or even if they don't win, uh, but but they go for it and there weren't these massive there wasn't this massive head scratching decision that we're all talking about, I think a lot of fans would have walked away and said, Well, you know what, Pitt it, they they played a lot better than anyone expected. They showed a lot of heart. They they played a good game and it's okay. I I know a lot of Pitt fans that were thinking that way. Even if the Panthers lost, as much as they wanted Pitt to win, would have walked away thinking, well, that was a good effort, and they showed up, and they were impressive, and they they handled themselves well and all that. But because of this decision, now that's going to be looming over Pat Narduzzi. And if he goes out and has a bad season, if they lose to UCF, and then moving forward back into the ACC schedule, if they go and they lose more games and this turns into a bad season, they end up with six wins, or God forbid, even five wins... Yeah, there's a real chance that he could get fired, and a lot of it would come back to this game. Not even because of the loss, but because of that decision-making, and because of the, the goodwill that he lost with the the Pitt fans. And that's a, obviously a big part of it with, with college sports, is, is how you are with the fans. And fans were behind him when he was hired, and they were certainly behind him his first two years. And even that third year, there were frustrations, but the Miami game, that brought back a lot of goodwill. And last year, fans were starting to turn on him early with the loss to getting blown out by Penn State and then UCF, but then they turned it around. So he's got plenty of opportunities to turn this around. He can go out and have a really good ACC schedule and either win the Coastal or come really close and get seven wins and maybe, you know, maybe even eight. 
and uh, and figure this out. But it's it's really all up to him now. If they go out and they have a bad season, he would legitimately be on the hot seat, and there would be no question why. And so I think this could very well be, I'm not saying it definitely is, but it could be the turning point in the tenure of Pat Narduzzi. Where if things go downhill, you can point to this game, or not just to this game, to that decision and say that's when things went wrong. And that's when fans started turning on him, maybe players, I don't know. Because no player is going to say anything and, and you have to respect that, of course. But you wonder if some players are wondering, why did we not go for it on fourth and goal at the one? And so if players start turning and they don't play as well and they don't get as hyped up for the games, if the fans are turning on him, this could be the turning point. Now, he can win it all back. He can go out and have a really good season, and and we won't forget this and won't even forgive this, but you can move past it. But you need to... Now it is imperative that he has a good season, not just a 6-6 six and six season, because then there are going to be a ton of questions. But you need at least seven wins, maybe even string together eight. You need to be in the race for the Coastal. Because after this game, there are a lot of fans that are calling for Pat Narduzzi's head and, and uh, for him to be in the hot seat. And you can't blame them. I th- you know, Right now, it's a little bit early. you got to see what he does the rest of the season. But man, that decision changed a lot of things. I never once seriously considered that he should be fired, that he wouldn't be the guy. I, I think it's starting to become evident that he's not going to be he's not going to take Pitt to a national championship or even an ACC championship but that they can be a good respectable program make it to the ACC championship game and you know maybe put up a fight against Clemson who knows but now you're starting to wonder if he can even do that and because of that decision for the first time I'm now considering, oh, maybe you do have to fire him. And people don't want to do that. The defense is in a really good place. You don't want more inconsistency. You don't want... But depending on how the season goes, and and based off that ridiculous decision, you have to consider it. And for the first time, me looking at it, I'm considering it. For the first time. I did not consider it the year they went 5-7 and and missed the bowl. I did not consider it... Uh, when I I thought it was a little bit too early last year when they started out slow and then they turned things around. And it's still too early, but you have to actively consider that he might get fired if he does not turn the season around. And and you understand it. Now, talking about before uh, before we move on, got to talk about the future of the, the Pitt-Penn State rivalry. It is a damn shame that this game is going away. And make no mistake... It is 100% on Penn State, on Sandy Barber, the athletic director, and Penn State to not play this game every year, to not renew the series. Pitt would do it in a heartbeat. They've said it. They are out there. They want to play this game every single year. People across the state want this game to be played every single year. People across the country want this game to be played every single year. There were so many tweets from national college football writers, sports writers in general, saying this game should be played Every year, this should be an annual tradition. It needs to happen. People all across the sports sports world were saying that that have nothing to do with the state of Pennsylvania. And really, it does all just come down to Penn State. That's not any bias. That's not subjective. That is, Penn State does not want to play Pitt 
because they don't view the benefit as outweighing the risk. And and you can absolutely say that Penn State is scared to play Pitt because they are. Essentially, the benefit for them is not much because they think, well, we can get a good amount of fans, not as many, but we can get fans out to whatever regular season game we play, and we don't want to give up a home game every other year to go out and play in Pittsburgh, and we don't value it as much, whereas the risk, and this is what I'm saying they're scared to play Pitt, is either they lose, which we saw the first year of the series that knocked them out of the college football playoff, or they win, and Pitt has had a bad year. So when uh, when the Panthers were 5-7, and seven, and all of a sudden that non-conference win doesn't look all that good, and that also kept them out of the uh, college football playoff. And so in both of those cases, Penn State is looking at it, saying the risk is too big. They are too scared to to do that and and looking at the college football playoff they don't value having this this rivalry and this tradition because the risk outweighs the reward and again the risk to them is if they lose dire consequences and if they win it's not even a huge benefit because Pitt isn't a ranked team that that would not go as a really great win for Penn State when they beat Pitt. I mean, we just saw it this weekend. No one's saying, oh, wow, Penn State looked really good in that game. They beat Pitt. No. It was, okay, they escaped. And so for them, they don't want to do that. And to me, I think that is, it's just ridiculously frustrating because college football should be about tradition. It should be about rivalries and should be about geography and all those things. But Penn State doesn't care about that. Sandy Barber does not care about that. They just want to build up their best resume. And I understand it, but you're not going to convince me to like it. You know, it, it's just so incredibly frustrating that they value the resume and they'd rather take cheap wins against a cupcake schedule or whatever over a rivalry just because of what it might mean to how people view their schedule and if they might lose. If you're worried about losing, then don't lose. Okay, you're the big brother of the state, you're the bigger school, the bigger stadium and alumni base, then go out and win. That's the thing. If you're worried about losing, then just go out and win. They've done it, they've shown they can do it, so just go out and do it. And to me, it's just ridiculous that the fear of losing or even of winning and having it not... uh, really add too much is holding back what is a great rivalry and yes it is a rivalry doesn't matter what they say it's absolutely a rivalry you could see on the field there was just that added level to the game in the stands there was an added level uh, from what i heard in state college it was it was very intense and things like that for pit fans all across the country and the world like there's this added level to it and for penn state fans they really don't like pit that is a true rivalry, and they're just going to give it up. And to me, that's ridiculous. So anytime that anyone says, oh, it's a damn shame that Pitt and Penn State don't play every year, Pitt wants to. Pitt absolutely wants to. It is because of Penn State and Sandy Barber that they're not doing it. Who knows? Maybe in the future they'll have a different athletic director, and they'll get it to work and something. It is 
insane for this to not be a home-and-home every single year. One game in State College, one game in Pittsburgh, back and forth, having this as the rivalry for the state of Pennsylvania. Almost every other state has this big rivalry every year, and if you don't, and they should, it's it's everyone hates it. The fact that Iowa and Iowa State don't play every year is ridiculous. The fact that uh, 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 Texas and Texas A&M don't play every year is ridiculous. And the same thing now goes for Pitt and Penn State and will be going forward. It is absolutely ridiculous. Everyone realizes it's ridiculous outside of a little bubble in central Pennsylvania. Everyone realizes that's insane, and Penn State doesn't care. They just don't care about it. And so it's really frustrating that this rivalry's gone. I think you can argue playing West Virginia every year might be more fun in the rivalry because it's not as they're not they're certainly not as um high and mighty or you could say arrogant and of course there aren't the off the field uh atrocities enabling things like that 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 bring this beyond sports and so it's a little bit more fun carefree all that but without a doubt Pitt fans if you ask all Pitt fans who do you hate more Penn State or West Virginia and I guarantee you the the answer overwhelmingly would be Penn State. Now, if you asked who would you rather play at this point, because Penn State refuses to play Pitt and West Virginia's eager, I think more people would say West Virginia. But if you say who do you hate more, who do you want to see lose, who would you rather crush, uh, it's, it's Penn State. And it's a shame. And by the way, if you ask Penn State people who do you really hate, I would imagine it would be Pitt, maybe Ohio State, maybe. Uh, but it, at, at worst, it would be about a tie for first, if not Pitt outright. Um, because it's absolutely a rivalry. And that's the that's the game that should be played every year. And because of Sandy Barber and Penn State, it's not going to happen. And to me, that's just an absolute shame. So that that's all for the the football game. Just a, a quick note: we've got to talk about um, pit volleyball because they have been on fire yet again. And if you're not paying attention, you absolutely have to be. They had a game on national television against Oregon. The Ducks ranked number ten in the country, and Pitt handled them in uh, three sets to one. Then they went out west over the weekend. They beat Cal Poly. They beat Pepperdine. They beat number 16th ranked Utah. They are now 10-0 on the season. They're ranked 6th in the nation. It might go up, actually, after uh, this podcast is recorded. Currently ranked 6th in, in the nation. And coming up, they have got two gigantic matches against who else but Penn State. They've got one on Friday, September 20th. Uh, at State College, and then they've got one on September Sunday, September 22nd at 1 p.m. at the Pete, not Fitzgerald Fieldhouse, at the Pete. That is going to be a monumental match. It's huge. Penn State, I believe, is ranked third or fourth in the country. Uh, both of those matches are gigantic. If you are in Pittsburgh, I absolutely recommend going on Sunday at 1 at the Pete. Um, it is a blast. Volleyball is a great sport. It's a lot of fun. And this team absolutely deserves your support because they are out crushing it in a way that I know a lot of people hope for volleyball, for uh, football and for uh, men's basketball to do, and they haven't done. Pit Volleyball is doing what everyone's been hoping. They are going out and they are dominating. They're taking care of business. They're not letting you down. Uh, they're really something to be proud of. And so I uh, have to mention them. 
and we'll keep mentioning them as long as they, uh, you know, are, are still in this conversation because it is something that is new. Pitt has not been a volleyball school, but Dan Fisher and Pitt Volleyball, they've really turned it around, and they absolutely deserve support. And they've gotten it, but they deserve more and more and more support. So uh, keep an eye out for those matches Friday at uh, at uh, Penn State, and then the Nittany Lions come to Pittsburgh on Sunday afternoon at the Pete. You've got to be there if you're in town because uh, they deserve your support, and it's that match is going to have huge ramifications. So Panther of the Week, before we go, uh, I'll, I'll mention Pitt Volleyball because they absolutely deserve it. In terms of Pitt Football, I'll go Co Jalen Twyman, and Kenny Pickett because Jalen Twyman, now second week in, the row, in a row that he has looked excellent, and for Kenny Pickett, he has surprised the hell out of us. And if it continues, that could say some really good things about Pitt's season if Kenny Pickett looks the way he did on Saturday at Penn State because he absolutely carried that team on offense and he put them in a position to at least tie or even win. And, of course, Pat Narduzzi took that uh, out of their hands, but Kenny Pickett did a great job. So he's Panther of the Week. Twyman's Panther of the Week. Pitt Volleyball, you're, you're all Panther of the Week. That's uh, We're, we're going to go Oprah on this one. Uh, so that just about does it. One quick announcement. Uh, next week, uh, there will be no podcast. I'm going to be out of the country. Uh, I'll be in Europe. And so, uh, I have to miss that one against, uh, after the, the, the contest with the UCF. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed that the Panthers go out and get the win, but, uh, unfortunately I will not be able to recap it. Uh, I will be able to watch at least most of it. I should be, uh, should be able to, to watch in Europe with the time difference, but I, uh, will not be able to do a podcast. So look out for a podcast coming up in two weeks after the Delaware game. I'll, uh, be sure to talk about the UCF game, but then also of course, Delaware and uh, where Pitt football is at that point in the season. Again, uh, please subscribe uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. You could search for us at Cardiac Hill or just search for Cardiac Hill. You could also continue listening on CardiacHill.com. Check out Cardiac Hill for all things uh, Pitt sports news. Just uh, the, the site is crushing it, so keep following them. You can follow me at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N on Twitter. Again, no pod uh, next week, but I will be back the week after that on September 30th. So, again, I want to thank you all so much for listening. I know the Penn State game was frustrating, but there is a whole lot to be proud of. And outside of one ridiculous decision, the Pitt football team looked really good. And I think there's a lot to be optimistic about if they put all the pieces together. So again, frustrating, but try. I know it's tough. Try uh, to be a little bit optimistic um, because I think that's just going to make everyone's blood pressures go down just a little bit. So again, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, two weeks from now after the uh, Delaware game, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.